Hi, everybody. Today we're having a conversation with Ephraim Radner and Annette Brownlee. They are a married couple in Toronto, Canada, a Jewish-Gentile couple who are uh, very interestingly both academics, both theologians, and they are both ordained Anglican evangelicals. Both of them have had in their professional lives involvement in Jewish-Christian dialogues and sometimes among Messianic Jews. The highlights for today's conversation to listen for would involve an understanding of a little deeper understanding of culture. Uh, We believe that culture is learned. It's all the practices and beliefs that we acquire over a lifetime. These aren't things that we're born with. We have to learn them. And they can change because they're part of culture. They can grow and they can be refined. And in this case, we'll see how, uh, particularly for Ephraim, Jewish identity has been growing and deepening um, as he has sought to learn more about it. And then for Annette, and actually both of them, their religious identity as Christians has deepened along with their understanding of God's relationship to the Jewish people. I think you'll find this one fascinating. I have really enjoyed um, speaking with them, and I think you will too. Hi, today we're with Annette Brownlee and Ephraim Radner. I'm really excited to have both of them here with us. They're in Toronto, Canada, serving with uh, Wycliffe College. Uh, Annette Brownlee is the chaplain, professor of pastoral theology, and director of field education. Ephraim Radner is a professor of historical theology, and I'm going to just say at the beginning, um, I've been pronouncing his name Ephraim, which is the Hebrew pronunciation, but I understand the family pronunciation is Ephraim. Welcome to both of you. Thank you. It's great Thank to you. be here, Tofia. Well, Annette, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and, and how there were some connections with um, the Jewish world as that was happening. Happy to do it. Um, well, let me start by saying Ephraim and I have been married 33 years. Um, and as you're going to hear his story, uh, sort of more recently, he has embraced the, a Jewish part of his heritage, and it's been a happy journey we have done together. I grew up in Washington, D.C., um, and just sort of in an ordinary family, a Christian family, went to church, obviously uh, part of the Christian church, and I don't remember any Jewish friends. We moved as a family when I was in sixth grade to the North Shore of Chicago, a a town called Glencoe. Um, It was predominantly Jewish. And I, in sixth grade, I started sixth grade, and there were two classes of about 30 kids each, and there were two Gentiles in those two classes, me and Paul Beinlich. But uh, my best friend, Julie, uh, she and I would play and have sleepovers, and I was often invited to her house for Seder. Um, That's the first time I had matzo balls. Um, But it was just a a Jewish culture around school Um, at that time, School was not um, let out for Rosh Hashanah, so me and Paul Beinlich were in school together. You mean you guys are the only two there, and everybody else? The only two kids in the classroom on Rosh Hashanah. Right, all the Jewish Uh, kids are staying home. Yeah, because they they had the day off. It was me and Paul Beinlich. I was influenced by um, a woman who is an Episcopal priest. She was really my mentor. I, as you know, I've been ordained an Episcopal or Anglican priest for 33 years. Uh, I was in Iowa City going to uh, graduate school at the University of Iowa. And 
she very much influenced me on um, the love of the Old Testament. And I, I took Hebrew when I went to seminary, spent two years struggling with that language and certainly wished I'd learned it when my friends did <laughs> when they were much younger. Um, and then when I went to seminary, a general theological seminary in New York City, I got involved in the Jewish Christian dialogue between our seminary and JTS. That's the Jewish Theological Seminary. Theological Seminary. And since you and I talked earlier, I don't know why I did that. I mean, I was interested in it. That's why I did it. But I, I, I can't tell you more about where that interest came from. But it was a great fun. I remember talking with seminarians at the Jewish Theological Seminary, because we all talk in Christian terms about feel, feeling called by God, called to God by God to ministry. And they kind of said, you know, the only one who calls us on the telephone is our mother. Um, <laughs> so the whole language of vocation was different. And those were uh, wonderful conversations. I then went to work part-time while I was in seminary at the National Conference of Christians and Jews, which is in Manhattan, um, working on interfaith conversations in seminaries and academic institutions in the Northeast Corridor. I worked with Ellen Cherry, who now mm -hmm. recently retired from teaching at Princeton, and that was when she was converting from Judaism to becoming a Christian. Um, but we would get together people from different in academic institutions in the Northeast, Jews, Christians, evangelical Christians. Um, we didn't get Orthodox Jews or Orthodox Christians. And we would discuss a social issue from all of our different perspectives. And I helped run these conferences, um, but they were just wonderful. They were rich. We learned a lot about each other. You know, the last uh, 30 years, actually, I've been doing ministry, first in the parish for 20 years, and in the last 13 years at Wycliffe College. And more recently, Ephraim, and he will tell you the story himself, has gotten involved in Jewish-Christian dialogue. He was asked to participate. They wanted, uh, he can tell you, like a Jewish Anglican, and he was close enough. So he started to do this, and I think at the same time, and again, he can speak for himself, he started to sort of reclaim some of his own Jewish heritage. In his office at Wycliffe, he has photographs of his father and grandfather's bar mitzvahs, which are really quite wonderful. And so I was kind of going along with him on the ride. I was, I was very happy about this. Um, and then, what is it? He can tell you maybe a year ago we started, he asked, that we do Shabbat on Friday evenings. Mm -hmm. So we've been doing Shabbat. And that might sound really weird, but as an Anglican, you know, daily prayer, morning and evening, is what defines us. And so to do evening prayer around Shabbat um, didn't seem that strange to me. And I quite love it. Um, you know, it made me think more about the relationship of the Sabbath in creation and Exodus, which I hadn't really thought about. And um, I think know, that's I, what it's supposed to do. Yeah. And, you know, and um, I don't really, um, you know, reading scripture and praying scripture is, you know, my oxygen. So to do it this mm -hmm. way 
um, and we're both practicing our, our um, phonetic Hebrew. So yeah, so um, it's been a, a, a joy for me to see this part of our life um, sort of take root after 30 plus years of marriage and 30 plus years of ministry. Um, we've, we've made friends, we uh, join Jewish Christian friends here for Shabbat on a regular basis. Um, I think our kids are and think it's kind of cool just because it seems exotic. Ephraim, the uh, story of, of your family, um, your background, I think, is, is important to, to hear um, at this point. Can you tell us a little bit? Sure. And, you know, and Annette, who was just talking, is right that, you know, some of my explicit interest in, as she put it, my Jewish heritage, but also Judaism as a living part of who I am, um, is recent uh, in an explicit way. But it... In another way, it's, it's always been there in a kind of tacit fashion. And I would imagine that's true for a lot of people who come from the kind of background I did. And that, in, in this case, you know, my, my grandparents on both sides were immigrants. Um, on my mother's side, immigrant Polish Catholics um, from Krakow. And on my father's side, immigrant Jews from whatever it is now, Belarus and Odessa and so on. And, um, you know, anybody from, from immigrant families, and, and both my parents grew up in these immigrant neighborhoods, one in Philadelphia and my father in Chicago, which surrounded by people who spoke still the language. My mother went to school uh, where, uh, in church where, you know, everything was in Polish. And where, Was that uh, in Chicago? I'm sorry. My mother was in Philadelphia and my okay. father in Chicago. So, okay. you know, they were shaped by this. There's no way that as a kid, you can't be shaped by some of that. So my father was definitely a sort of raised in, in Jewish neighborhoods, very Jew University of Chicago was, I don't know whether it was considered a Jewish school at the time or not, but it, it I gather it felt that way uh, for many folks. Um, and he grew up in that neighborhood, in fact, of Hyde Park. Um, for all the differences, it was in many ways, my father's uh, Jewish background that predominated in our family uh, sort of connections. Um, I never saw my, uh, grand, my grandfather on my mother's side uh, died before I was born. And while I, I met my grandmother several times, they, they were always far away in Philadelphia. And we grew up, I grew up in Berkeley, California. And my father's parents, on the other hand, they were nearby. I mean, for a number of years, they were in an apartment just a few blocks from us. And so we'd go over and you know, I'd hear the stories, they'd cook the food, they'd do this and do that. And uh, that's what, and not only that, there was a kind of under, underlying tension. I mean, not, not lived, but acknowledged between my mother and my father's side. I always heard the stories they had to elope in order to get married. They got married in Britain, the UK, um, after the war, Second World War, in part because neither side of the family was very happy at all about each of their marrying, uh, you know, a, a Jew marrying a shiksa, a, a, a Catholic marrying a Jew. That's not how their, their parents thought they should go. And they had a, a good deal of negative feelings about each group. I don't think my father's parents ever really warmed to my mother. I mean, they were always nice to her and everything. But, uh, you know, I, I picked that up and I heard things about that. 
and I'm going to step in just for a so yeah. second here, just to um, kind of put a frame on this. Historically, uh, intermarriage, Jewish intermarriage in America, prior to 1960, was less than six percent. Yeah. So they they were. This was in the late 40s. One of the things to be said is on both sides, the religious identity. I mean, commitments. Uh, both my mother's Catholic side and uh, and my father's Jewish side had fallen away. Um, my mother herself was a quite self-conscious um, ex-Catholic. Um, my my father's more more complicated, but my my grandfather, his father was was bore a, a pretty strong level of bitterness towards religiosity in general. Um, and I have seen, you know, I don't want to say reduce it to a type, but, you know, his, his family was a large family that came over, but a large family that was left there. And, uh, you know, he went back shortly before, my grandfather back shortly before the Second World War to try to bring people over. It didn't work. And, they're all gone. I mean, they all disappeared. And I know for a fact, my father would talk about this, my grandfather avoided talking about it, that my grandfather was, you know, deeply bitter towards God. And I don't want to say my grandfather was an atheist. I don't think he ever said that. Maybe he did. But he certainly said, I don't want to have anything to do with the sort of organized religious life of Judaism. My great-grandparents lived there, or some of them did. Uh, and they were far more devout. Uh, I am named after my grandmother's father. Um, now, that's another point. Even though I was never raised Jewish and we never did anything like that, I have carried around this name since I was born, obviously. And it, it doesn't take much to figure that I'm from a Jewish background, uh, whatever well, When you views. say you, you, weren't, you weren't raised Jewish, are you saying... Do you mean that you, you didn't practice Judaism or you weren't involved in Judaism? Correct. Because yeah, that's like what you I, had very clear Jewish identity. Well, I think you're identity. right, but I, I'm a Christian. And as a Christian in, well, I don't want to say as a Christian in general, but as a professional priest, we, we talk about religion. And, and, and this is an important point. We talk about religion as personal commitment. Um, you know, and it's, it probably does seem strange to many Jew, to many Christians that many Jews do not think about their Jewishness in terms of personal religious commitment. That's a big difference. Um, I've grown to understand that it's not as simple as that, but um, that's what I meant. That's right. I wasn't raised with a religious Jewish identity. But um, did, did you have a sense of uh, connection to Jewish people through ethnicity, through culture? Well, yes, obviously through my family and through my father's own sensibilities. Now, very quickly about my father, he, he joined the army at the end of World War II. And after the war, he clearly went through some, some spiritual struggles, you could say, very clearly. He was an, ended up an academic, a mathematician, and so on. So he also had a highly developed scientific mentality. Um, and he left practicing religious Judaism in, in his own belief. Um, but later, shortly before I was born, in fact, the year before I was born, he entered the Christian church and he got baptized the year before I was born uh, in an Episcopal church with these friends of his, academic friends who were thrown. And then I was born and I was actually baptized too as a six month old. Annette and I actually found the church and the record where I was baptized in Butte, Montana. They were doing a cross country, 
a voyage from one side of the country moving and godparents were there. It's a long story. So I was baptized at six months in Butte, Montana. But subsequently, I was never raised particularly uh, as a Christian or a churchgoer. My mother had no interest in it. We went to church once in a while, again, Christmas or something, but um, that wasn't part of our life. And um, again, Judaism in academia, especially science and the areas my father was in, is a strong presence. And so whether or not, this goes back to your question, whether or not I sort of recognized what was going on, I was being raised with my father's colleagues. I would say probably uh, 75% of them were Jewish, just by the nature of the fact. Um, so there's, there, there, these are un, unspoken sort of ways of thinking and acting and so on. Uh, in many ways, I realized later on when I went to college uh, in the East Coast, a very Ivy, Ivy League and, and seminary, that I was actually more comfortable intellectually with Jews than I was with Gentiles. And that you were describing working with um, the National Conference of Christians and Jews. Because I think it's, it's, it's important for us to underscore something. Jewishness is often identified by religion um, and and it's not. I mean, Jewishness is effectively a matter of, of birthright. It's a matter of, of um, DNA. It, it's, it's, a, it's an ethnicity that's established with birth. And so what, one of the things I've found is that um, you get an organization like the National Conference of Christians and Jews, and it sets up an interesting dichotomy that is mutually exclusive the declaration is that one can be Jewish, but not a Christian. And Christians generally aren't identified as Jews. Whereas um, I've been talking and uh, encouraging us the use of the term um, Jewish Gentile couples because it's apples, apples, oranges, oranges. It's the same, same question of ethnicity, either Jewish ethnicity or non-Jewish. Um, Tufio, one of the things that I was very early, con early conscious of was obviously the reality of the destruction of the Jews in Eastern Europe. And increasingly, as I got older, the sense that, look, had I been born there, <laughs> the child of a Catholic mother and a Jewish father, I would have been in the same boat as every other Jew. Um, and, and I would have been considered that. And, you know, that, that I, I can't remember somewhere in junior high or high school, that realization came to me, which, you know, I've carried with me. In other words, I have, I have had a sense of solidarity. Let's use that, sense, that term with the reality of the Jewish people. And then I want to come back to you for a moment. Um, as a, as a chaplain, have, how has any of this Jewish experience you've had um, influenced liturgy, sermon um, focus, anything in particular? Sure. I think uh, one of the things that's quite um, easily seen is, does the Old Testament play a role in churches, liturgy, churches, 
preaching, I mean, that's very concrete. You know, in the Anglican Church, we follow a lectionary, and every day is appointed lessons from the Old Testament, the Psalter, the New Testament, and Gospels. But a lot of churches don't do that, so people never hear the Old Testament. Um, or how often do you preach on it? In, in, at Wycliffe Chapel right now, uh, we have the chapel every day, and on Wednesday evening, the faculty preach, and we're preaching through the Psalms. I, I preached last night on Psalm 114. It was my turn. Both by how we shape our worship, but also by the fact of how I teach. But let me come back to worship. Um, I was, there's a church I help out with on Sundays, very, very marginally, because I work full-time at Wycliffe, and they will sometimes cut out the Psalm or cut out the, and the Old Testament. And then we have an option to use six Eucharistic prayers. And one of the prayers in the Canadian Book of Alternative Services, number two, does not mention Israel. So I'm very aware of there are times where our service does not mention Israel, and that bothers me, and I say something, you know, because uh, uh, all of this stuff is formative, you know, to think that it's okay to go through a church service and talk about the lineage of Jesus and the his God's salvation history and not mention Israel is not okay. So whenever that happens, I, I point it out to the powers that be. Um, and it's sort of done for time's sake, but they're not thinking theologically. And, and certainly our student body is very diverse um, in terms of where they come from, uh, both ethnically, but also their church background. And we do have students who think, you know, Israel's been replaced. Um, and... No, you know, we, I will talk about it isn't. The covenant has not been broken, Romans 9 through 11 and whatnot. And for some of them, this is very new. So Annette, you mentioned you saw something happen after Ephraim went to Poland in 2016 at a conference there. What did you see when, when he came back? And then you can toss it over to him to, to describe that. Well, the first time thing I saw was it was the first time he felt out of his league at an academic conference. <laughs> which is unusual, right? In that, um, I think part of it was they hadn't adequately prepared him for it, but it, it was very thoughtful, sophisticated conversations that were new to him, just because they hadn't been the conversations he'd been involved in for 30 plus years as both a Christian and an academic. Um, and he came back deeply moved and uh, came back very aware of sort of um, where this conversation's really hard, Jewish-Christian conversation, both from, particularly from the Jewish side. Is that correct, Ephraim? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll come back to that. Come to that. And so um, I, was, I was sort of amused that he was sort of their token Anglican Jew, um, he was amused too, I think, in a in a positive way when I say amused. But then he kept getting invited to things and and started to get more involved. And I was sort of a, a, a passenger in that, you know, I supported him doing this um, because it was a different subject for him to be praying about, thinking about, listening about, studying about, and it was 
he, it didn't make him feel tired. Um, and as, as he has said, it, it, it underlying sense of always having a Jewish identity, even though it hasn't been sort of primary or it was a little bit underneath. So I'm just sort of the supportive spouse. In 2007 or six, I, I was commissioned as part of a group to write a, com a theological commentary on the book of Leviticus in a series called the Brazos Theological Commentary on the Bible. And I didn't ask for it. It was sort of given to me as a, as a chore, as a task. No one else wanted Leviticus. Nobody else wanted Leviticus, yeah. I was one of the originating editors, and they went around the room and said, okay, I'm taking Genesis, I'm taking Deuteronomy, and by, I didn't speak quick enough, and the only book left was Leviticus. And anyway, I'm really grateful. Talk about providence. It was, um, I don't want to say it changed fundamentally the way I thought and did theology, but it certainly opened up new ways of thinking. And one of the things I discovered uh, in doing that Leviticus book was that the Christian tradition, after the early centuries of the church, really lost interest in Leviticus by and large. And, you know, if you, they commented on it, it was the same old, same old stuff. It didn't have much to say. Uh, Jesus takes the place of the temple sacrifices, and that's the end of it. Uh, the book of Leviticus is a lot more than that. So in trying, the, the whole point of this, I don't want to dwell on this, but it's important to me, the whole point of this series of commentaries was to engage the tradition. But I didn't have a really thick Christian tradition to engage on the book of Leviticus. And it, it pressed me to look at Jewish commentary. And in doing that, I discovered wonderful things. And they weren't, it, it, they were things that told me about G Christ, about Jesus, as well as about Israel. I won't go into details, but the commentary that came out had probably as much Jewish uh, material in it as it did uh, traditional Christian theology in it. It was partly because of that, and, and that got me thinking more about things that Annette just said earlier, how we preach, how we use Israel in the Old Testament and so on in our churches. It got me doing more of that, and I think it was because of things I'd written on that, coming out of that Leviticus commentary, that somebody said, well, we, right, Annette said, we need an Anglican Jew, Let's, who, who do we have? And, and that's maybe one reason my name came up. And... Um, so I was, I was intellectually, theologically sensitized to this. But this group I went to in Krakow was a group of Jewish Christians, understood as coming from all different backgrounds. Well, I was the only Protestant, I think, at that time, other than the Messianic Jews. Um, and it was a theological group, so to talk about theology. And, and I was a latecomer to the group. They had met for several years beforehand. There we were in Krakow, which is where my mother's family came from. Now, that wasn't planned. It's where Pope John Paul II had been bishop, and he's, you know, he's the patron saint of the city. There are all these statues and posters and everything of him there. Um, uh, we, the whole thing took place in the Dominican um, uh, monastery there, house. Uh, but, you know, we wandered around. We went to the, the ghetto. Everybody has to go to Auschwitz, and we, which we did in Birkenau. And we had as part of our, our discussions, which were open to the public, uh, at least one, as I recall, Jewish uh, philosopher uh, from Warsaw, who was puzzled and, and somewhat negative about this whole gathering. Uh, it had a theme, you know, but, uh, um, and, and we also met with the bishop and so on. 
one of the most moving things while I was there was celebrating the Holy Communion, the Eucharist, um, in Hebrew, in the, this Dominican house. Here in the place where some horrible things happened between the church, Christians, and Jews, well, Christians against Jews, the Jews didn't do anything, um, and yet there was this entry into this deep place which had not been healed. <laughs> and we were the people doing it. We were not because we were, uh, you know, uh, intrepid explorers, but just by nature, the fact Jews who had become Christians or had come out of Jewish families into Christianity, we were ones who were asked to enter into this place. Um, whereas you mentioned the Odyssey earlier and so on. Who is God? What has God done with Israel? Where do we go? Who is Jesus in all of this? He's our savior, but savior how? Um, and for whom? And in what way? I didn't come from that conference with any answers. I came with a part of me opened up that perhaps had already been being primed for that. But at that point, sort of physically being in the midst of all of this, um, you know, it brought me to tears on more than one occasion. And I'm not sure why, other than the fact that as I say, it was a doorway into the history of God's life with the world through Israel and in the body of Christ, which um, has otherwise often been obscured. You know, I had to change my views about what all this meant and what the, if you will, what the dynamics of God's work in the world amongst his peoples are. And it's driven me back to scripture in ways I haven't resolved, but open things up. Into it. So this has been an opening. And in that opening, some discovery. The idea of, of, of doing Shabbat seemed to me natural at that point. You know, it wasn't, as Annette said, I thought, well, why don't we do this? We should do this. And she said, sure. You, you two have, have illustrates, illustrated something that I've um, envisioned, and it's not easy to, to communicate to, to couples um, coming from two different um, cultural backgrounds that the potential for finding spiritual harmony is grounded in a, a common understanding of who God is and a relationship with him that brings people from um, some very, very different cultural backgrounds and sometimes some very different religious uh, convictions and connections. Uh, and yet it is a, it is an aspect of, of the discovery in life of who God is and what he wants to be in our lives. And you two are, I mean, it's, it's a thrill for me to hear you talking about this as, as a, uh, a function of your current spiritual um, development, uh, even as very mature, um, highly educated academics who are also um, in uh in service to Christ in, in church setting um, to hear, I mean, as, as somebody who loves the idea of lifelong learning, this is music to my ears. I'm so grateful for you taking the time to do this. It's been uh, a privilege. A privilege. Uh, yeah. We're, we're for yes. folks who would know we're on a Thursday and so I'm going to wish you guys both a Shabbat Shalom as you prepare for Shabbat tomorrow. Shabbat Shalom to you. Yeah. yeah. And to everybody. And I uh, look forward to talking to you again. Thank you for being with us on, on um, Jewish Gentile Couples from around the world. Blessings. Blessings you. to you. Thank you.
This is He Said Then She Said, Conversations with Jewish Gentile Couples. And I hope you've enjoyed the conversation today with Annette and Ephraim. If you'd like to be in touch with them, that's Ephraim Radner and Annette Brownlee at Wycliffe College. You can find their contact information at the Wycliffe College website up in Toronto, Canada. And if you'd like information, further information about uh, the services and ministry of Jewish Gentile couples, you can contact me at tuvia at jewishgentilecouples.com. We would welcome hearing from you, questions you might have about uh, any of the material or our resources, and I'd welcome feedback if you have uh, questions that you would love for us to address in one of these podcasts or on a blog post. We're happy to have that kind of uh, information. Thanks for being with us, and uh, hope you'll join us again for He Said Then She Said, conversations with Jewish gentle couples from around the world. Shalom. Shalom.